that song um, has always had special meaning to me. Um, the last sermon that I preached at the church that I came from to come and serve here, um, it was a youth service, and um, it was a student worship service, and uh, there were about 100 students there. And uh, the, the search committee probably remembers they received that video as a part of my application to come here as your pastor, and I was wearing a backwards ball cap uh, in, that, uh, in that sermon. I know some of y'all would rather forget that. I will not be wearing a backwards ball cap here at First Baptist, but um, it was that sermon text, and the worship team uh, that evening had uh, planned their worship set around that particular text as well. So they sang that song, and then I came up and preached from that passage. And um, I've never been able to forget this statement from uh, the three Hebrew boys. Listen to what they said as they were, and this is not the sermon. This is like prelude. We'll, we'll get there, okay? But, but this, is, this is special. They said, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from this furnace of blazing fire. He can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But listen to this. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Isn't that powerful? It, even if he does not, we, we forget that, right? They were delivered, but this was their faith. Even if God doesn't deliver us, he's still God. Don't forget that. Um, man, I love that. Uh, the sermon text this morning, though, Acts chapter 28. You can turn there with me. Acts chapter 28, and beginning in verse 17, and we are finishing the book of Acts this morning. And uh, man, what a journey it's been. I went back and, and looked at, uh, my wife is clapping. She's been anxiously waiting for us to finish Acts. Um, but, but I went back and looked at the sermon log this week, and just I write every text down and the date I preach it and where it's preached at and all those kind of things. And I counted, this is the 33rd sermon in the book of Acts. And so um, I've really uh, enjoyed walking with you through it. It's been encouraging to me. I believe it's been encouraging to our church as well to see that we are indeed a sent people, and we see what that looks like in the life of the church. Now, here's the thing about the book of Acts. The ending is quite frustrating. Uh, the reason it's frustrating is, is I, if you're like me, you like for things to have kind of a neat, put a bow on it kind of ending, things wrap up nicely, uh, the conflict is resolved, and uh, you understand how the rest of the story unfolds. But the book of Acts, you're going to be disappointed to find that it doesn't end that way. In fact, it ends with a little bit of a cliffhanger. And here's my encouragement. Good stories uh, end in that kind of way too, right? Think about some of your favorite movies. Now, I'm, I'm careful with movie illustrations, but I feel like this one's safe. I love Star Wars. Some of you may be surprised by that. Some of you are really excited. Others of you think I'm an absolute nerd for saying that. But I do. I love Star Wars and my family. We love it too. And here's the thing about Star Wars. It's an incredible saga that unfolds. And if you watch each movie at the end of it, it kind of ends in such a way like you just want a little bit more, right? You, you want to know how the rest of the story is going to unfold. And that's why you got nine movies and you got all of these spinoff episodes and shows and this stuff. Listen, it's because it's such a great story. They, they show you all these ways this story can unfold. Listen, I want you to think about the ending of Acts that way. It's going to end in a way where you're going to be wanting just a little bit more. 
You want to see just a little bit more of the story, but here's the great thing about good stories, and this is the great thing about Acts. We see that in the ending of Acts, we are invited into that story. Because here's the reality. This story is not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about the apostles. First of all, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. But guess what? It's about his work through the church. And here's what's beautiful about that. That story continues through us. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. The mission of God continues through the church. The mission of God continues through you and I. The mission of God continues from Rome, the perceived end of the earth then. It continues into Cave Spring, Georgia here today. And then it continues from here to the ends of the earth once again. Listen, this story begins to unfold and take shape through the church in a way that you and I are invited into that. And so I want you to leave the book of Acts challenged. We're not going to see the end of Paul's life here. Uh, We're not going to see what becomes of him. You can look outside of Scripture and see what others wrote about him because he was a historical figure, and you see some things that happened to him along the way. But in the Scriptures, we're kind of left with a cliffhanger. God working through Paul, God working through the church then, and an invitation that he's going to keep working through us. I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, and I'm just going to read verses 30 and 31. This is the the end of the book, and I want you to see this cliffhanger. Notice what happens. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your precious word. God, the, the songs that we have sung this morning, Lord, as we've, we have sung your word, it's been good. God, now we spend this, this extended amount of time in your word to, to understand it, to apply it to our lives. And God, I pray that you will give us wisdom or that by the power of your spirit, you'll speak in a clear way And Lord, that we will leave here forever changed. God, we trust in your power in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. From verse 17 through the end of this book, we see that that Paul is utilizing four precious gifts that were given to him. And as we're invited into this, I want us to see, I want us to understand that the same four things that Paul had at his fingertips, the same four things that the church then in the first century had to utilize, guess what? We have the same things to use today. And and they are really like the pillars of who we are as a church. And they're the pillars for us. Those, for us, to, as we move forward in mission, these are the things that we need to kind of latch hold of and say, listen, there are a lot of things that we can talk about. There are a lot of different ways we can do this mission and we can go about reaching the community. But these things we're going to hold on to. All right? So there's four of these. First, notice this. God gives the church clear direction. Clear direction. 
We have seen how God has guided Paul through persecution, his imprisonment, his, his shipwreck, and we even saw a couple weeks ago he was bitten by a snake, and, and God saw him through that. But in these verses, verses 17 through 22, we see how Paul responded to God's direction. You see, it's one thing for us to know that God is leading us. It's an entirely different thing for us to live that out. And so I want us to see how Paul lived out God's direction in his life. First, notice this. It is possible when we know that God is leading us, we know his direction, it's possible for us to have confidence even when we're slandered. It's possible for us to have confidence even when others around us are, are cutting us down or undermining the mission of God or, or undermining our character even. It's possible for us to still have confidence because we're leaning on the Lord. We're walking in step with him. Listen to how Paul retells his journey in a very straightforward, but I want you to hear his confidence in verses 17 through 19. It says there, after three days... He called together the leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, so this is Paul speaking, listen to what he says. Brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And after they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Listen to this. Even though I had no charge to bring against my people. I want you to see that. He said, I had no charge to bring against my people. There's some real confidence in that. Understand that his people, the Jewish leaders, these were the people that he had known religiously and culturally. These were the people who should have been kind of his companions along the way. They were the ones that were persecuting him. They were the ones that were slandering him. And yet, man, when he had this platform, instead of throwing them under the bus, he said, I've got no charge to bring against them. I don't know about you, but if I was given that platform at that moment, if I was Paul, I would have said, hey, listen to what these knuckleheads have done to me. Uh, listen to what they've put me through. But instead, he responds with some confidence and some graciousness. Notice what he says in verse 20 even. He says, for this reason, I've asked to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. I want you to hear how familiar this should sound. Sounds an awful lot like Jesus, doesn't it? No one was slandered on the face of this earth more than our Savior Jesus. I mean, they, they hung a sign on the cross that said, Hail the King of the Jews, and that wasn't a serious statement. That was meant to be a mockery. And yet as Jesus hung on that very cross, y'all remember what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do confidence. The confidence that Jesus had seeing God's plans unfold through his sacrificial death, through his mockery. Listen, that same confidence Paul had, and guess what? We can have it too. But also notice this. It's not just possible to have confidence. It is also possible for us to have peace when we are marginalized. Again, this all hinges on us knowing that God is directing our paths. And when we know that, we can have real, genuine peace. 
Listen to how the Jewish leaders, how they responded to him in verses 21 and 22. And then they, they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere, listen to this, are speaking against this sect. Now, your translation may say, this religious group. But the the implication here is, they are taking this church, Christianity, the kingdom of God lived out on this earth, and they've placed it into a corner and they've said, "This, this isn't all that important. I mean, yeah, we've heard a few things about this, Paul, but it's really not that big of a deal. This was a statement of them marginalizing or casting to the side what God was doing through the church. Now, I think you would agree that we in the 21st century now, we see the same things happening to the church. And here's where I want to caution you. I want to give you three responses that we could have when we are marginalized, when we are pushed to the side, when people make us feel a bit strange and weird because we call on the name of Jesus, there's three things we can do. Number one, we could resent the culture. Right? We could look at the culture and we could, we could begin to resent them and we could get in our Christian bubble and we can isolate ourselves from them and, and we can even look at the community around us and we could just say, man, look at those bunch of heathens out there living like the world. I hope you would agree that's not a biblical response. The second way we could respond is we could get a little bit louder about what we believe in. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I mean, we could shout it from the rooftops what we believe. And and maybe you've even seen that at at certain political rallies and things, there's people marching around with signs and with their beliefs written on those signs. And they're, they're marching in protest. Listen, we could get a little bit louder. But I don't think that's the best response either. The best response, I believe, we see lived out right here in the book of Acts and in the first century church. We can have peace and live out our faith before others. We can live it out. That's the loudest witness we have. That's the best response we have to being marginalized. I want to show you another place in Scripture where this is true. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Peter is writing here to uh, kind of the family structure. He's writing in particular to uh, women who are believers in Jesus Christ and their husbands are unbelievers. And I want you to see what Peter tells them to do by the inspiration of the Spirit. Well, listen to what he says. He says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, listen carefully, even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Peter says, listen, the most powerful witness for you is the testimony you live out before others. In your home when they see your faith. But guess what? In a watching world, we don't have to get louder. We don't have to get in a Christian bubble. No, we, we live out our faith with peace and confidence. Listen, our conduct is seen before our witness is heard. So God may lead us into suffering and we may be marginalized because of our faith, but we can have peace and we can have confidence because Christ has walked that road before us. But notice this as we see Paul's response to them in verses 23 and 24. 
God also gives the church his sufficient word. His sufficient word. Look at verses 23 and 24. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging from dawn until dusk. He expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Paul gives us a model for how to responsibly share the word, especially in the face of opposition. I want to point out here that he preached from dawn until dusk. Make note of that. Everyone said, thank God. Right? 35 minutes is about all we can hold on. But listen, Paul preached from dawn until dusk. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily the best model. But I want you to see what he does along the way. First of all, he, we must expose the truth of the word. It says there uh, in verse 23 that he expounded about the word. That big word, what that means is, it means that he let the word of God stand alone. He exposed the truth of the word. And that's what we should endeavor to do when we teach and preach the word of God, when even you, when you are teaching the word of God to others, when you're living out this testimony, listen, let the word stand on its own. Listen, you don't got to dress it up. Let it stand on its own. You know, I got a, a, a Bible this, with me this morning and and y'all gave me this Bible when I became your pastor, and I've cherished it. And it is, I never would have probably bought this Bible myself. I couldn't have afforded it. And it's bound in this, this beautiful calfskin leather. I mean, it is, it is something to see. And, I, and people tell me all the time, man, that's a really nice looking Bible. I say, yeah, it's good. Our church gave it to me. I love it. Listen, as good as this is, it has no value unless I open it up. Uh, the, the precious things of this word are not in how, the way it's bound, but instead it's in the words that are written in it. Listen, we try to dress the word up in other words, in other ways, not just our fancy Bible covers, but listen, we, trans we dress it up this way. We, we want the word to speak into our experience. And so we bring our experience to the word of God and we say, okay, God, tell me what to do. Right? And that's not an appropriate way to handle the word of God either. Or maybe we like to validate our opinions about something. And so we come to the Word of God and we say, okay, here's what I think. And God, I want you to show that what I think is right. You know who you are. Or else you, you might want it to fit into your culture. And what happens is you, you never bother to, to realize that this was first written to a first century audience whose world was completely different than yours and mine. And instead what we say is we say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my culture and I'm going to transpose it onto the word of God and, and you end up with a jumbled mess. Instead, what it means to expound the scriptures is, is hopefully what you see demonstrated week after week or in your Sunday school class or in this service. We talk about who it was written to. We let it stand alone. Even when it's difficult, we see it as true. Now look at that second word uh, that I want you to see. It's not just expounding, but then he says he testified about the word. Now we talked about this a couple weeks ago, so I won't spend a lot of time here. But we talked about how testifying about something is simply saying, this truth has borne witness in my life. It's saying, listen, not only do I believe this to be true, I have lived out this truth, 
But I have demonstrated this truth in my life. Uh, for Paul, and I'm grateful, that, I'm grateful that Luke did not record it again, we've seen Paul's testimony again and again and again, his Damascus Road experience. He doesn't tell about it again here, but I have no doubt when it says here that he testified from dawn until dusk, somewhere in there, he was talking about that bright light on the Damascus Road. He was talking about how that light, that light struck him blind. He was talking about the change in direction of his life. Listen, when you and I testify, we must demonstrate the life application of the word. We're showing that this word has value in our lives, that it's practical. You see, it's one thing for us to tell others we believe something. It's more powerful for us to show them that we believe it. But now look at what happens next. He expounds on the word. He testifies about the word. And then it says there in verse 25 that he tried to persuade them. He tried to persuade them. It says there that some were persuaded and others were not. Here's what we see. We must call for a response to the word. And you see, it's not enough for us to just tell someone what we think about something. It's not enough for us to even teach about the Word of God. No, we must call for a response. Listen, when, when we share the Word with others, we are not simply transferring information to them. We are pressing for a decision for people ultimately to bow a knee to King Jesus. Now remember, we're looking at how God gave the church exactly what he gave Paul. He gave Paul uh, some direction, clear direction. He gives us the same thing today. He gave Paul a, a clear word, a sufficient word. But third, notice this. God gives the church his powerful presence. I want you to look at verse 25. It begins in verse 25 that there was, there was disagreement. So this, this word, this call for a decision, it divided the people. It says, disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. Listen to what he said. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. There's a pronoun there that I don't want you to miss. Notice that he says these are your ancestors. For Paul, this was a big deal. Understand he was talking to a primarily Jewish audience who would have shared his culture, who would have shared his worldview, who would have shared his perspective on history. They would have drawn their understanding from the same heritage. And yet, Paul distances himself from them and he says, make no mistake, these are your ancestors this is talking about. There's something unique about me and my testimony that separates us. But there's some encouragement here. Notice this. He talks about the Holy Spirit being with him. He is with us when others reject us. Uh, Paul made a very pointed statement in distancing himself from these people that he should have been close to. But he knew he wasn't alone. Paul would say it another way in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 16 and 17. Writing to young Timothy, he would say this, at my first defense, no one stood by me. In other words, I was all alone. Everyone left. Uh, may it not be counted against them 
but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Isn't that good? He tells young Timothy, listen, no one was with me. Everyone had gone away, but the Lord stood with me. Don't forget he's with you. He is with you when others reject you, but if you're like me, you're more discouraged when others reject him, when they reject his message, but he's still with you then. Notice in verses 26 and 27, uh, Paul begins to share from the word of God one more time with them. And he says, go to these people. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter six here. He says, go to these people and say, you will always be listening, but never understanding. You will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and they might turn and I would heal them. These are very confusing and difficult to understand words. And so I want to be careful here. What Paul was saying here, he's taking this, these verses from Isaiah chapter 6 that, that had a real historical significance in the nation of Israel's history. You see, this was God speaking through Isaiah, and, and, and he was saying, listen, Isaiah, I want you to go and tell your people to turn from their wicked ways. I want you to go, and y'all know that famous verse for every missionary, right? He says, who will go? And Isaiah raised his hand and said, here I am, send me. And we quit reading there, but if we keep reading, we see in verses 9 and 10 of that call, God says, all right, you, you want to go? You're going to go and talk to some people that are never going to listen to you. You're going to share a message they're never going to heed. And you're going to tell them to turn, and they're never going to turn. I don't know about you, but that's not a mission any preacher wants to sign up for. And yet he went, and he proclaimed this word, and they never listened and what Paul does here is he says, listen, what was true of your ancestors then is true of you now. He says, listen, you're not ever going to understand this. You're never going to hear this. And there's, there's a comfort here and there's a warning. First of all, there's a warning to unbelievers. If you're not following Jesus, I want you to listen carefully to this. He says very plainly, your hearts are hard. You're never going to believe. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 9 and verse 18. So then he, being God, God has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens the hearts of whoever he wills. If you were reading in the Bible reading plan with us, you saw this in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 12. And again and again, what did it say? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Here's the caution. If you sit under the teaching and the preaching of the gospel again and again and again, and you're given opportunity after opportunity to turn to Jesus, and you never do. Listen, there comes a point when your heart is hard to the gospel. Be warned. There's also an encouragement to believers. As discouraging as that is, there is good news in this. It's not our job to change people's hearts. It ultimately means God is sovereign over hearts. That God does that work. That's why we, before I preach each, mor each Sunday morning to you, I say, Lord, do a work that only you can do. It's not going to be because of being creative or clever that people's hearts are changed. It's not going to be, James, because the music is good that people's hearts are changed. It's not going to be because you were welcoming and friendly that people's hearts are changed. Ultimately, it's because God does that work. 
Paul knew this and we need to as well. Ultimately, the good news in this is, is the way that section concludes. He's with us when others reject us. He is with us when others reject him. But finally, he is with us so others can accept him. Paul's last words in the book of Acts, verses, verse 28, listen to what he says. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. This is a good summary statement for everything we've seen unfold in Acts. Don't you remember in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? We have it printed on a t-shirt here. What does it say? He says, you're going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Listen, God starts his work in Jerusalem. He starts his work among his people, the people who should have known, who should have understood. And then he begins to move outward Judea, Samaria, sometimes those who are marginalized. Listen, the the church goes to them and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. And there's a promise with that. The promise is this. As we are a part of that mission, he says, they will listen. How do I know that promise is true? Because you're sitting here today. The reason you're in this room as a child of the king, some of you, It's because over these past 2,000 years, God's done a good work, a supernatural work. Through his witnesses, he has sustained his word, his gospel, and guess what? It's taken root in your life because this promise is sure. So as we go, as we tell, we go so others can accept him. Finally, note this as we wrap up the book of Acts. The fourth Thing that we have that Paul also had. God gives the church bold servants. As we finish Acts, I want you to see that this is more about God's work through the church. It's not about Paul. Again, it's not about Peter. It's not about the other apostles. It's about God's work through the church. And if you are a child of God, that work is happening through you. This bold servant that I'm talking about here, God gives the church bold servants. We're not talking about he's going to raise up another Paul or another Peter. It doesn't mean that we should sit around waiting for the next Billy Graham to come on the scene. Here's the reality. God gives the church bold servants, and those bold servants are most likely sitting in this room today. So what do bold servants do? Bold servants encourage faithfulness in others. Look at verse 30. It says there, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. He welcomed all, it says, who came to him. Again, we don't know how this story unfolds the rest of the way. We don't know every detail about the rest of Paul's life, but what we do know is this, as a bold servant... He stayed in his own rented house. That's not a picture of glamour or fame, right? I mean, he's kind of still marginalized, but yet he stayed there and he was faithful. And he encouraged faithfulness in others. Guess what we also know during this time? As you read the rest of the New Testament, you'll see books like Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon and even the book of Philippians. Listen, all of those letters were written during this time. So while Paul was there encouraging people who came to him, he was writing these wonderful letters. Haven't you heard? 
Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, those words most likely were penned during this two-year time frame. He was encouraging other believers, encouraging us even today. But more than that, it's not just about encouraging faithfulness. Bold servants keep the gospel in focus. They keep the gospel in focus. What was the content of Paul's encouragement? The content, it says, of his encouragement was the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel was his content. I'd already told you a moment ago at the very beginning where when when Paul was given a platform, he could have said, oh my goodness, you would not believe what I've been through in my life. You would not believe how terrible this whole ordeal has been. And especially now, at the end of Acts, after everything has unfolded, he could have drawn a crowd and said, let me tell you this crazy story. But he didn't. He said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me share the gospel with you. His message never changed, no matter the circumstance, and neither can ours. Here's a question for you. This book ends right there in verse 31. The gospel unhindered. You and I invited into that. So here's a question. Where do you fit into God's plan for the church? Where do you fit? What what is your part? If we believe that this story has continued even to this moment... Because changed lives in this room are truth of that. If we believe that, where do you fit into that mission now? Let me ask you a question. Are you trusting God's direction every step of the way? Do you have that peace and that confidence that we looked at? Do you trust that the word is sufficient, that that you can just testify and expound upon the truth of this word and let it stand alone? Is that sufficient Are you mindful that God is always with you? He never leaves. Is God using you as a bold servant? Some of you this morning, I know in a room with this many people in it, some of you don't know Jesus. Your story begins by trusting in Jesus. It doesn't begin with good works. It doesn't begin with with making some right decisions. It doesn't begin with cleaning up your act. It begins with you trusting in a Savior. But maybe you've already done that. And you've already trusted in Jesus. But listen, you have a part in all of this. Uh, Lean into that. Lean into how God can use you through His church for His glory. My prayer for you is this as we close. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to me. Come talk to a believer. Fill out that blue card, drop in the offering plate. I want to reach out to you. I want to talk to you. Uh, Or maybe if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you haven't found your place. Listen, I want to sit down and talk to you about that too. God's got a plan for your life. He wants to use you. Would you stand as we go to the Lord in prayer and respond?